back, 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 back to the kettle. Okay, what's wrong with Floyd, Gonzo? Oh, nothing. He's promised to take care of Miss Piggy's puppy dog. Oh, good grief. That dog is a pain. Well, Kermit, can't you do something? I mean, you're the dog's dada. <laughs> I am not the dog's dada! Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring. The most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, how are you on this Friday night? I am happy that it is Friday night. It's been a long, long week. There's a lot going on at the same time, and I'm I'm developing character, so it's good. <laughs> developing character. That's a good way to That's a good way to put it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. This is a feed of Lunatic Daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, lunaticdaring.com, where you can find all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. Also, uh, if you get a chance, please go on and uh, give us a review rating, uh, preferably four or five stars, on your podcast app of choice. It would really help us out a lot. We are currently, uh, we just started season four of The Muppet Show. Uh, and we are going through them as we always do, two episodes at a time. I really, really enjoyed both of tonight's episodes. We've t- been talking about this in terms of figuring out when the guys hit their stride. And I would say that they probably did that late season two, early season three. But seeing how that carries forward into season four has been very interesting. I think we're going to find that their stride gets them all the way to the end of the show. Very nice. I would say with Harry Belafonte, we hit peak Muppet show. Mm-hmm. We're going to be writing that way for the remaining two seasons. I think, but um, we got some mimes to talk about tonight. Mimes that actually talk, which I thought was a rule, but I I don't actually know as much about mimes. Well, we'll find out. Uh, You ready to get started? Let's get started. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest stars, Shields and Yarnell. Yeah! All right, Nick. So my kids love the Shields and Yarnell episode. I mean, they love it. Whenever we're watching the Muppet show, they're like, can we watch the robot people? So tell me about these robot people. Uh, before, actually, no, I can, I can lead into that, but we'll, we'll remember the robot people. Lorene Yarnell, uh, who's born in Los Angeles. She'd been a dancer and an actress in movies and on, on television shows, including things like Bye Bye Birdie and Shindig. You and I all recognize her from something without realizing that we recognized her for something because she didn't use her own voice in that appropriately. The character was voiced by Joan Crawford. Do you want to guess what it is? No. What is it? Spaceballs. She played Dot Matrix in Spaceballs, but she was the physical. She didn't do the voice. But uh, Oh, well, Joan Rivers did the voice over. Sorry. Oh, wow. She was Dot Matrix. That's right. Cool. I, I looked at that. I was like, no. Oh, and even the hairstyle still matches, too. It's weird. Yeah. You need someone with the physicality to do that. Yeah. She appeared as Claudine in a 1983 outdoor production of Can Can at The Money in St. Louis. And that was starring Judy Kaye and John Reardon. They both had a a long career. And I'll, I'll get to Robert in just a moment. But it's weird because they were people that you would recognize behind the scenes. In Robert's case, he was also born in Los Angeles, graduated from Grant High School. He was working as a street mime at 18, performing at the Hollywood Wax Museum. And he was discovered by Marcel Marceau, uh, who offered him a full scholarship to his school of mime in Paris. And I want to see this movie, although I'm sure it would terrify me. But being discovered as a street mime and going to a school of mimes in Paris is either an absurdist comedy or a horror film. Being discovered by one of the most famous mimes of all time as well. 
True. Yes. He would eventually return to California. Uh, he would work in Union Square in San Francisco. Hey, we know those guys. <laughs> yeah, we know those guys. They know us too. He's credited as being the originator of the robot um, early in his career. <laughs> the dance? Yeah. Sweet. Right? Sweet. Yeah. He appeared These guys are awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've, they've been around for a minute. Uh, in 1974, he appeared in Coppola's The Conversation, which I haven't seen, but I'm sure you have. Yeah, it's one of his best movies. He also was recruited by the Ringling Brothers in Bar- Barnum and Bailey Circus to serve as their director of clowning. Did they get business cards with that? I don't know. Uh, probably. Lorene and Robert met when they worked Folderol, in a, which was a 1972 Sid and Marty Croft TV special. Uh, it was also Robert's first TV appearance. As a duo, uh, their specialty and something that they put on display on tonight's episode is a series of skits called The Clinkers, where they're basically playing as robots with you know, super regimented and rigid motions. And I guess it's a less terrifying version of the stuff that you would see at Chuck E. Cheese. From 1977 to 1978, Shields and Yarnell had their own show. It's a comedy variety program, which I guess everyone was doing in the 70s, but it was the Shields and Yarnell show. They appeared on 400 national television shows in the U.S., including Sonny and Cher, The Red Skelton Show, The Muppet Show, The Tonight Show. There was a 1979 TV movie called The Wild Wild West Revisited. Shields would actually win an Emmy for a television special called Toys on the Town. Yeah, these guys were busy, and they were very, very good at what they did. They would ultimately Ultimately, they got married in 1972, which is pretty early on in their career, and that marriage would last 14 years until they divorced in 1986. I know where he is in the conversation. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> he plays a he plays a mime. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a mime in the yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. They they got uh, married and then they got divorced. Got Shields it. opened a jewelry and art business in Arizona, while Yarnell remarried and moved to Norway. Occasionally, they would still get back together to tour with their act, but they weren't really together anymore. Shields would meet a singer-songwriter named Lori Burke in 2002, and they would be married. He's currently living in Arizona. In terms of Yarnell, she moved to, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the t- town in Norway, 1998 with her third husband, Bjorn Jansen. She died of an aneurysm on July 29th, 2010, at the age of 66. So that's not a happy note to end on, but these two were a a real joy to watch on screen. He looks vaguely like a pre-plastic surgery Rick Springfield, and I'm never... After finding out that she was Dot Matrix, I'm never not going to be able to see her as Dot Matrix, because her hairstyle does not change at all. No, their their hair is very 70s in this. Well, they have the Mork and Mindy thing going real, real hard. So, the, the Muppet Show episode 403, featuring guest stars Shields and Yarnell, produced between May 8th and May 11th, 1979. It would premiere in the UK on November 23rd of the same year, and stateside on October 4th of 1979, directed by Philip Casson. We get to our cold open, where Scooter, as Scooter was wont to do, comes in to let Shield, Shields and Yarnell know that it's almost time to go, but we see Shields and Yarnell just doing the robot routine. Um, and I, I have to give a lot of points to Yarnell here in particular because she does the dead eyes very well. Like she's she just, does. it's not quite yeah. a Kubrick stare, but it's still kind of unsettling. They're already in full robot mode. Yeah. When they're, uh, for this, her, her, her smearing her lipstick all over her face reminded me of like sounds of the lambs. You know, that's one that I managed to dodge in my childhood. I don't think I've actually seen that one. Uh, Scooter comes in and sees them going through this routine where, they just sort of 
mark themselves up and launch themselves across the room and scooter says that kermit's finally booked guest stars weirder than we are i would say mum and chance is just as weird as them oh i would say mum and chance is weirder <laughs> yeah by a long shot mum and chance never talked until like the very end of the episode the thing is i'm more familiar with the stereotype of a mime than any of the actual nuance that goes into becoming a mime and i i know that there's a lot of discipline that goes into being able to control your body the way that they do but i don't properly know what the rules are Okay, so she is Yarnell and he is Shields. That is correct, yes. Okay. I needed to get I needed to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the Muppet Show theme, uh, where Gonzo vanishes as he plays his trumpet. I don't think we've seen that one before, although we could have. No, nah, that's new. For our opening number, uh, we get an ABBA song, which I'm kinda surprised that it's taken this long, because it's nineteen seventy-nine. <laughs> And we're just now getting to ABBA, but uh, they, we have a number of bird Muppets on a wire, or it's on a telephone pole, or telephone wires, but they're bouncing around while singing Take a Chance on Me, which is an ABBA song from 1977. Have you ever seen the Pixar short film For the Birds? It's one of the early Pixar short films about a bunch of birds on a telephone line. I can't, I can't picture it. Maybe. It reminds me of this just very, very clearly. And like, to, to give it a second, um, I really like the way this one was set up. The, the night drop and all that, or the night backdrop and all that other stuff in, in tandem with the color contrast. It's, yeah, it was a fun bit. It's a nice way to, I think every episode we've seen so far this season has that, that, that sweet spot opening number that just sort of eases you in. And it's a nice touch. Oh, wait till we get to next week's opening number. You're going to love it. Nice. <laughs> for, for the Victor Borgia episode. Oh, boy. So we go backstage uh, where we see that Fozzie is Fozzie's kind of a sponge. Um, and not just because of the, the on-screen texture, but Fozzie is trying to show Kermit some of the mime tricks that he's been practicing. And Kermit... This was like when he got... When he tried ventriloquism. Exactly. When he got hit with Chucky the dummy. As, as Fozzie's practicing his mime routine... Kermit doesn't even look up. He's just like, yeah, I see where this is going. You're doing this. You're walking into the wind. You might want to try to be a bit more original. Going up an escalator. You're going downstairs. Yeah. Fozzie does all the kind of classic. The only thing he doesn't do is trap himself in a box. I was waiting for that one, actually. Yeah. But yeah, and he encourages Fozzie to do, to come up with something new. Uh, A different, different, if if he's going to do mime, come with something creative, not just the old standbys. Fozzie does pretty good with the old standbys, though. Um, Frank's doing a great performance here for sure, but we, now that we've seen what a bad mime performance looks like, we get to see Shields and Yarnell doing their famous bit, the clinkers, uh, in which they're playing, I guess, two androids that are trying to eat breakfast. Yeah. Robots eating breakfast, I think is the name of the sketch. It's so with his hair slicked back, he kind of looks like, uh, Gomez Adams. Actually, not the first place my name went. It, I want to say DeBarge, but I want to say El DeBarge. El DeBarge? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, a little bit. Sure. Um, because... Early 80s soul singer? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, something about the slicked back hair. Yeah, he reminded me of like Gomez Adams a little bit. I can absolutely see that. With a, the smoking jacket. Yeah, it's the smoking jacket. Yeah. And then Yarnell looks a little bit like Gilder Adner. 
but yeah, she's got her hair all up in curlers and stuff. And yeah, they play a couple that are um, having breakfast together and failing at it miserably. Like not only missing the mouth, but also destroying property such as their table. And yeah, these my Macs are going to be hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I, I mean that's probably why they're silent. But I think this is a really good, and it's very funny, and and yeah, it's just it's just all about watching them watching the control they have over their bodies mm-hmm. right and how they are able to to embody these characters um in this case just two hapless robots you know when they they they're they're they even fail at hugging each other and kissing each other good morning they can't do anything right you know they have a drinking problem they have an eating problem too <laughs> and an eating problem now one thing that they do use in this episode that I'm guessing that you wouldn't normally associate with a mime show is they are using sound effects. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, when I was performing improv, we would do that a little bit. And I don't generally associate that with miming, but the, the idea behind space work and just like building things in a scene, I guess it is, it's effectively a pantomime, but the sound does help cur- or convey what, what it is that you're doing. What I would love to know is this, are they performing to a soundtrack of the noises or the noises put in after? That's a good question. That I don't know. I know that Jim would usually have a separate day for all of the music and things to be recorded independent of the bits, and those would sort of be dubbed right. over, right? Right. Is this a pre-recorded thing from one of their trap, one of their bits, one of their acts? And they just have this thing pre-recorded, and they've memorized every single motion to go along with the sounds? Hmm. Or is this something the Muppet Show put in? Because it feels like a lot of work for the Muppet Show to go in and put in these sound effects for them. I don't know. I, I was very curious about it. But uh, they do end up crashing the uh, kitchen table. But yeah, this is the sketch. This is the sketch my daughters are talking about when they say they want to watch the episode with the robot people. It's very well done. It's very well choreographed. It escalates nicely. Uh, you're, you're right. It is kind of hard to talk about, though. Yeah. No, that's fine. We go backstage again where Floyd seems a bit more vocal this season than he was. I mean, he was never not vocal, but... We're seeing a lot of them uh, tonight, tonight in particular. Yeah. Fozzie is working on his mime act and trying to come up with something original. And his latest idea is to feed spaghetti to an elephant. <laughs> yep. Which. <laughs> I love Floyd's got an amazing line here, though. When he come, Fozzie comes up and says, Floyd, what do you think I'm doing? He's like, I don't know what kind of trip you're on, man, but I hope you bought a return ticket. I <laughs> oh, gotta love some drug humor in your Muppet show. <laughs> oh, and it's gotta come from Floyd. Sure. Um, yeah, Fozzie has decided his big his big finisher for his mime act is going to be feeding spaghetti to an elephant. Although Floyd informs him that elephants hate spaghetti, which I don't think that's true. Actually, he says they hate all Italian food. Which you think elephants hate garlic? I'm sure elephants aren't picky. <laughs> so that's that's Fozzie's. So Fozzie decides he's going to alter his bit so that he angers the the elephant. And the elephant's going to strangle him to death. That's his big act. We'll see if it pays off. From there, we get to uh, we get our first Gonzo sighting tonight. Uh, but he steps backstage to ask Shields and Yarnell for new act suggestions. I mean, this there's no way this pairing wasn't going to happen because it's kind of perfect to give Gonzo space to just interpret things or misinterpret things. Yeah. We had some really great facial expressions and they're, they are trying to be helpful. And, you know, there's, it's impressive to see the back and forth there because they will respond without saying anything to Gonzo. But eventually Shield starts playing a piano or miming playing a piano. And well, he's trying, yeah, he's trying to tell Gonzo, like, Gonzo's like, I need a new act. 
And he's and he so he mimes an entire like sitting down as a concert pianist and saying you should play piano and does everything right. He even he even flips out his coattails, you know, mm-hmm. turns the page of the yeah yeah the page of the music and everything yeah. But Gonzo doesn't see it that way. No, Gonzo is thinking about massaging a snake. Which, as I say that yeah, yeah, now, I know, I know, I know. I, know. Um, I wasn't thinking it at the time. All the way over my head when I was watching it. Did it? <laughs> it did. <laughs> Usually I'm much quicker on the uptake with those things. We're going to leave that where it is. Uh, but I think this is the first time they talk this episode, too. Massaging a snake? From here we get our UK spot, which we see the return of Congo, uh, who is playing, getting in touch with his inner King Kong, climbing a building and singing a song called It's Lonely at the Top. Uh, as people inside the building who are in smaller versions of Windows either sing the chorus or start shouting at him. It's Lonely at the Top is a 1970 Randy Newman song, but it's it's a fun bit. It's very technically, I was surprised it was a UK spot just because it was pretty technically proficient. Oh yeah, well especially with the the trunk faces. Well yeah, with the with the yeah exactly like that that's the thing with the the it, it just seems like they put a lot of work into this for a UK spot. You know, there's actually a great picture online on Muppet Wiki of them shooting this, mm-hmm. shooting the um, people that are then going to be either rear projected or or somehow superimposed onto the building. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, so so I was just surprised it was a UK spot because normally they don't like go out of their way to waste like special effects and stuff like this on a UK spot. It's it was a nice bit. He takes a big fall at the end, as as we're expecting all bit. Yeah, but yeah. From there, we get to see Shields and Yarnelligan, this time featuring Beauregard on the... I'm almost positive that it's the exact same set they used for the Apache song from the Rita Moreno episode. Or Fozzie's Wild West one in the pilot episode. Or, yeah, there's been a couple that are like this, these Wild West sets. Um, but they they do a Wild West sketch, and Yarnell is, I think, dressed in drag, and they start gambling and arguing over what card they put down, and they're miming the entire thing from drinking to shuffling the cards and dealing them out. More sound effects. More sound effects. But there's a disagreement over what card is played, which we don't have any visual <laughs> which over. Is, which, is, which is a joke in itself. <laughs> I call you. Four king. It's a pair of three. Pair of three. That's four king. Three. 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 Oh yeah. It and it's actually this is the perfect setup for it, where they're like, "Well, we have no idea what it is," and eventually, I think Shields dies first. Like he gets shot first. Yeah, they have a they they, they have a shootout with their fingers. Well, no, uh, uh, Yarnell figures out the best way to win win a uh, duel. Uh, you know, a showdown, a duel is to cheat. She wins the the uh, showdown, but then she ends up shooting herself in the face, which was unexpected. But uh, yeah, they're using their fingers as guns. I, I literally wrote finger guns. Beauregard being in the room with them somehow makes me more concerned because I, of all of the Muppets, I feel like he's got the least capacity to actually look after himself. He does say he's like no gunfights in here and then Shields shows off his gunfighting abilities and shoots Beauregard's hat off or whatever and Bo's like, enjoy your gunfight. <laughs> I'm leaving. Enjoy your gunfight. Yeah, another another good number of them, and again, again, another number of them just showing how well they control their bodies and how well they use their faces. This one has dialogue in it, though, mm-hmm. uh, which the other number did not. It would be possible, I think, to do without dialogue, but I can understand what the dialogue added to it to a degree. 
But realistically, Yarnell's entire facial expression was doing a lot of work. Yeah, she's playing like a yokel prospector. Maybe they're breaking the mold of what mime can be, or maybe this is just their thing, or maybe mimes can talk and we just don't know that. I'll have to look that up, but um, but I I really liked uh, I really liked this mix. They, it makes them more actors and sketch performers mm-hmm. than it does just mimes, you know. As we'll find out in the finale, you know. From there, we get to see the Snurfs again dancing to a song called "Little Brown Jug." Uh, it's a 19th century folk song written by Joseph Joseph Winner. I think I have heard it before, but I yeah. it's it's sort of like those songs that you'll hear from an ice cream truck where. Some you'll know as nursery rhymes, and other ones are just sort of like, I vaguely know what this is. Yeah, it's the Snurfs. They jump up and down and they make noise. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I I don't know what to say about the Snurfs, you know? (laughs) They're just the Snurfs. Us not saying anything doesn't mean, like, it was a bad thing? No, no, no. It's just, it's hard to describe. They play Little Brown Jug and they, they jump up and down to the rhythm of the music. That's about it. Then we get to see how Fozzie's uh, mime aspirations are developing, which, as you might expect, is pretty friggin' poorly. He's decided to mime watching things such as a tennis match between two turtles. Bear watching a tennis match between two turtles. Fuzzy, that's a little slow for an opener. You're right. I'll switch it to giraffes. Uh, that, that's better. Much better. Well, it's better. It's not, it's not, it's not good. It's we also better. get a uh, bear going to a drive-in movie with a porcupine. <laughs> yeah. As a concept is interesting. Um, sure. In execution, maybe not as much. But Kermit, being the good froggy friend that he is, advises Fozzie against really doing anything with any of the stuff that he's suggesting, which Fozzie takes in the exact opposite direction. The king of self-awareness. Kermit's trying to tell him, you may not want to do mime when we have Shields and Yarnell on the show. And he's like, you're right. I'll overshadow them. And if you go out there... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. They'll suffer by comparison. I understand. You do not want me to show up your guests. Uh, Tell you what. I'll lay back a little. uh, No, no, no. Don't do that. You're right. I'll give it my best shot. Kermit, it's a cruel business. Uh, It certainly is. And then Fozzie at one point, he's like, show business is a cruel business. And Kermit's like, yeah, it is, because I know what's coming. <laughs> when you go out there and mime, show business is about to be a cruel, what did Bart Simpson say? Uh, uh, show business is a hideous bitch goddess. But then Fozzie has to go right back out on stage. Which, you know what? We've got to give Fozzie credit, because he, sh- he gets up there every night knowing full well that he's going to get heckled real bad. This one made my daughters feel real bad, though. <laughs> they were very yeah. upset by this one. I mean, Statler and Waldorf aren't known for their compassion. No, but he gets booed off the stage by the audience. Yeah, but... He does channel his inner gonzo at one point and yells, This is art! (laughs) 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 Which is he totally got... That's Which is totally a gonzo move. That is absolutely a gonzo move. (laughs) Although Fozzie says it more pitifully. He's like, this is art, please, this is art. I was think when I was seeing him bomb there, I just thought of the... Like, there's that old clip of Jeb Bush asking people to please clap. Please, please clap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's that's terrible. No. As soon as he goes off stage, Statler and Waldorf are like, he should have done something like more more easy to understand, like the escalator or walking into the wind. 
In this case, Kermit gave very bad advice. I don't think he did. I think Fozzie ignored the good advice that he did give. (laughs) It's true. Uh, We don't get to hear your voice, but coming up, we do have a Hilda sighting, which... We do. I wasn't expecting four seasons in. But for our closing number, what is clearly taken from like a Ringling Brothers set um, down to the color palette and everything else, Shields and Yarnell and the Muppets perform Make Em Laugh, uh, which is a song by Nasio Brown and Arthur Freed, originally performed by Donald O'Connor in 1957's Singing in the Rain. It's one of the highlights of that movie. I have not seen that movie. Shields and Yarnell both do great. And Shields, I, I was wondering if it was an even distribution in retrospect, because Shields is up there for like a good chunk of it, asking for recommendations and sort of doing a solo thing. Yeah, he does uh, He does some animal impressions for the crowd, right? They're singing, make him laugh, and then in between, they're, they're, they're doing bits, and he asks for some animal impressions. He does what a gorilla... A lizard. Okay, okay, so here's the thing. Gonzo asks him to do a chicken. He doesn't do a chicken. He conjures a chicken. But it's very strange. Is that just him reading the room? Because Gonzo being able to conjure a chicken whenever he wants? Well, we're going to find out that he's going to abuse that. Oh, of course he is. Um, she does get to tap dance, though. She did. And she did really, really well at it. She, she was up there for like a good minute. It's just, I guess... It's very impressive. I'm going to remember his bit, his aspect of the bit more than I remember hers. Like in three weeks time, if you ask me what she did, I probably won't remember that she tap danced. It doesn't mean she did a bad job at it. I think she did great at it, but it's just, it didn't seem as dynamic as what uh, Shields was doing. Well, she did have the little drum battle with Animal though. She had a that little was a great bit. I loved tap that. off with Animal. Yeah, this is just a big, fun, rousing number. Like you said, uh, Hilda is in the audience, so she's not really, it's not really an appearance by Hilda. It's more just a, Hilda's a whatnot now. The ghost of Hilda passed. I think I saw Mildred in the background too. I think so, yeah. I think a, a, a really fun closing number, it shows off their physical skills still, you know, with his his impressions and her tapping. And, and it's, it's there to show that they have other talents. They have talents other than pretending they're locked in a box. Mm-hmm. And that they're multifaceted performers, and um, and and I, and I like that. And and they have, especially he does in this segment, is a lot of charisma, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really he he really seems comfortable, and he looks like they're having a, a really good time. So we we get to the closing of the show, and Shields and Yarnell thank Fozzie for letting them do his feeding spaghetti to an elephant routine. Um, and Gonzo shows up to let them know exactly what you can do if you can summon chickens. Yeah, Gonzo has conjured up a whole mess of chickens. He's going to have a good night. It's a very good night for Gonzo. Would you say this is like, because, I guess it doesn't. I mean, at first I felt like, and you had mentioned this off the air, at first it feels like when we find out their mimes, we feel like they're going to be, it's going to be like moment shots. It's different, and I I love it. And it's a little bit like moment shots. A little bit, but it's it feels pretty distinct. Like, the thing is, moment shots. they open up. Yeah, Moomin Chance is probably one of my all-time favorite Muppet Show episodes, at least thus far. Um, and it's not fair to compare other episodes to that, knowing that I've got such a soft spot for it. So outside of the context of comparison, I think this is a very solid episode. Uh, if we are comparing the two, it doesn't it doesn't hit that sweet spot the same way. Did you notice that every time Kermit said the word mime, he made sure to hit the M, the second M? Because it sounds like several other words and it's not a word you hear often so it sounds like mine or mind you know mm-hmm. so every time jim was had kermit in front of this front of the curtain he'd be like in the in the in the ancient art of mime <laughs> he would just make sure to hit that second m just put a little emphasis on that syllable come in diane cannon 
15 seconds to curtain, Diane. Did you enjoy Diane Cannon? I did. I, I thought this was a great episode. I It's at least once a season, I will feel very bad for Kermit. And we've hit that early this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for a couple people in this one. This is Kermit's Billie Jean episode, but it takes a very dark turn. I was totally going Sorry. straight for the Billie Jean reference. You beat me there. Samil Diane Friesen was born January 4th, 1937 in Tacoma, Washington. Her mother was an Ashkenazi Jew, and Diane was raised in that tradition, despite her father being a Baptist. After graduating West Seattle High School, she did two and a half years at the University of Washington before dropping out. At some point around there, she started acting. She made her film debut in The Rise and Fall of Legs Diamond, a 1960 Bud Boddicker uh, crime film. She did a lot of TV in the 50s and 60s. She did episodes of Bat Masterson, Lady Luck, The Price of Paradise, Wanted Dead or Alive, Johnny Ringo, The Hawaiian Eye. And the episode of Hawaiian Eye may be the first time she used the last name Cannon. I couldn't find out why she changed her last name to Cannon, but I'm guessing that um, Friesen wasn't doing it. Uh, she did The Untouchables, Gunsmoke, Ripcord. She basically did a decade of TV guest star roles before her breakout performance in Paul Mazursky's swinger comedy, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, in 1969. She was nominated for both an Oscar and a Golden Globe for that role. She would then go on to make many movies, including The Anderson Tapes with Sean Connery and Seamus, which starred Burt Reynolds. She took a little break from acting and then came back in 76, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Film for a project she produced, directed, wrote, and edited herself. 78 saw her in Revenge of the Pink Panther, Peter Sellers alert, and Warren Beatty's Heaven Can Wait, which got her another Oscar nod, and this time won her a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. She hosted SNL during its first season, guest starred on The Muppet Show, and after that kept working. She did Honeysuckle Rose with Willie Nelson, Death Trap with Superman Christopher Reeve, and the pinnacle of her career, the magnificent sequel, Caddyshack 2, Back to the Shack. She was given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1984 at 6608 Hollywood Boulevard. In the 90s, she did more TV appearances, including Diagnosis Murder, The Practice, and Allie McBeal. In 19, back, okay, and here's the fun fact about her. Back in 1965, Diane Cannon married actor Cary Grant, hmm. who was 33 years older than her. They had one daughter and uh, separated two years later. Uh, she married one more time. That only lasted six years. And I think her marriage to Cary Grant ended because he got in a car crash and there was another woman in the car. Fun. She is still alive at age 85 and a diehard Los Angeles Lakers fan. And she seems to be having a blast doing this. A flat out blast. Like, it's been a while since I've seen a guest that, like, seemed as happy to be there as she is. <laughs> She's really happy to be on The Muppet Show. And who can blame her? Muppet Show episode number 404 of special guest star Diane Cannon, produced middle of May 1979, premiered in January of the next year, directed by Peter Harris. Very, it starts off on a little low note because the cold open is a very basic joke. <laughs> oh, hi, Scooter. Thank you. Just be sure to warn me when it's time to go on stage, will you? Oh, well, that's not for a long time. First, you gotta worry about the curtain. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> yes, you do. But um, this case, she does have something to worry about, and a giant curtain falls from the ceiling and um, envelops her. Scooter knows it's coming. Scooter sets her up. He's even a little... She's like, I don't have to worry about that. And he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> and then the curtain comes falling down on her head. Um, we have our Muppet Show theme. We do get a little glimpse of our one new character. Uh, coming down the stairs uh, uh, backstage during the theme. But this is a real dog, not not a puppet dog, which we've seen that trick before. But uh, this is going to be the debut of Fufu, Piggy's puppy. Kermit comes out to introduce the first number, and I love this. 
Well, first, he gets interrupted. He comes out to introduce the first number. He gets interrupted by Piggy and Fufu. Fufu wants to come out. Now, this is going to be our backstage runner. Piggy keeps calling Kermit Fufu's data. Kermit does not like being called the dog's data. I am not this dog's dada. Like you said, there's a very Billy Jean, the kid is not my son thing going on here. <laughs> also, there's a part of me that just has a knee-jerk reaction to being voluntold that for that I'm going to do something. It might go back to childhood, I don't know what it is, but when I see it happening to other people, I get kind of irritated too. I'm like, you didn't ask that person if they wanted this responsibility, you're just like, deal with it. So, so she comes out and interrupts, and, and in order to get Piggy off stage, Kermit has to make little um, uh, baby noises to Fufu that I'm going to cut in right here, because they're really humiliating. See you. And he finally gets her off stage, um, although that will not be the last he has to deal with that damn dog. And then he said, you know what? Uh, anyhow, uh, uh, as an opening number, uh, you know, there are a lot of complaints today about wild-eyed youths playing mindless rock. Well, to counteract that, here are some wild-eyed old people playing mindless rock. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry and the Atrix. <laughs> and we are introduced to Jerry and the Atrix. I love the pun. This is only vaguely ni- nightmare fuel. I think the babies are like more disturbing by a long shot than the old ladies. Yeah. Then yeah, the old folks. But like, I wouldn't want any of these chasing me down a hall. No, these are kind of scary looking puppets. But uh, but yeah, they come out and um, we have this group of senior citizens, uh, a senior citizen rock band, and they play Hound Dog, which is of course an old Lieber and Stoller song made famous by Elvis, Elvis Presley. Um, everyone's heard Hound Dog. It was funny we had the subtitles on tonight and my daughter was singing along to it. <laughs> and yeah, and they and we get a great rock and roll number with a bunch of senior citizens. This was fun. Frank's playing. You could tell Frank's the one playing the piano. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think they're all in there having a good time. And it's, it's a good choice. And then Statler and Wardorf make a crack about they've been, uh, they've been rehearsing since 1908. <laughs> Which at that point is still reasonable. I mean, that's still 70 <laughs> years of rehearsal, but now it seems like... Well, now it'd be 114. Yeah, it'd be a long time. Piggy comes backstage with Fufu, and she's with Kermit. She's like, listen, I got to go get ready for veterinarian's hospital. Can you watch the dog? Sorry, that's not what she says. You're watching the dog. So, I've heard nightmare stories from friends of mine whose roommates will get dogs and just sort of go on vacation, leave the dog with their roommates because the roommate's there. Right. Um, which is not something that's, if anyone listening to this podcast thinks it's okay to do that, it might not be the most considerate thing to do. People don't like being taken for granted, but everything about them just passing this chain down to be like, I can't do it. I've got to do this. I've got this. It's very funny. I I can't remember who someone said I've got an anvil in the oven. That's Gonzo. Gonzo has an anvil in the oven. Would you take care of Fufu Scooter? I have to tell Diane she's on. Take care of Fufu Fozzie. Uh, listen. Uh, I got a date with a polar bear. Uh, take, take care of Fufu Gonzo. Oh, I've got an anvil in the oven. Take care of Fufu Floyd. <laughs> and then Floyd says, I can't do it. I got the whooping cough. And he turns around and there's nobody left to pawn it off to. And Floyd is left alone with Fufu. Oh, Floyd. If I'm Floyd, I pretty, I would just walk away. <laughs> but yeah. he does take on the responsibility. He's a stand-up bassist. We <laughs> we think that he's lazy and sort of never do well, but Floyd's actually pretty solution-oriented. Most of the things he's trying to solve for are just not having to do anything, though. And so there's a degree of responsibility that's been passed down, and he respects that chain of command. But he's he's sort of doing the, the poorly worded wish version of that, where you asked me to take care of the dog, 
So I guess this is how I take care of the dog. Yeah, I, I have the words Billy Jean on my sheet like five times. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take that from you. Every time he says, I am not that dog's dada. And I keep singing, the kid is not my son. Then we get uh, Diane Cannon's opening number. She is having a blast. And it's a song called Civilization, which is from a 1947 musical, Angel in the Wings. And it's got this big jungle set. And she's kind of playing a big blonde Tarzan. There was, uh, I mean, there's the Marvel Comics character, Shanna, I think. But there was... There was a blonde female counterpart. There was a movie in the 80s, and I can't remember. Tanya Roberts played her, I think. Sheena. Sheena. That's what it was. And it's a song about uh, living in the Congo and wanting to be talking about all the negative things about civilization. Oh, Congo, Congo, Congo. I don't want to leave the Congo. Oh, no, 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 no. Isn't that right? Oh, bingo, bango, bongo. We're so happy in this jungle. And uh, she's there with a bunch of animals. And she does a very precarious swing on a vine uh, that leads her on her butt. And uh, But she um, just noticed that one of the, the uh, snake from uh, uh, Emma Daughter was in the jungle. Hmm. It's a weird song. It's an odd song um, with some kind of nonsense rhymes in it. But... Um, but she seems to have a very good time doing it, and and I think her enthusiasm is infectious. Even if I did, I wasn't as particularly wowed by the number. I thought she did it so well that I was I was into it. She committed a hundred percent. Yeah, she sold it, and, and did a great job. Uh, Kermit's backstage, and uh, he wants to get everybody on stage for for uh, a doggy uh, a number for doggies in the window, uh, a doggy in the window number, which is a song, obviously. That they're gonna still kind of do, but not do at the end, which is weird. But anyway, mm. so they've got all these dogs lined up, and Gonzo's like, "You have to cancel it. Floyd can't make it." Now, what Floyd was gonna have to do with it, I have no idea. Unless the mayhem was supposed to play, how much is that doggy in the window? Which doesn't really feel like a mayhem song. But he says he can't because he's babysitting Fufu. <laughs> I feel like at some point Kermit just has to like let Piggy know that Fufu can't come there if Fufu's going to have to be babysat by members of. The cast do you think he has that level of control he can tell her that he's also told yeah. her they're not a couple that's true he might have to pick his and battles. this kid is not his son he is not the one so uh we go to piggy's dressing room and here's here's part of your, what you're talking about is you know piggy is um explaining to floyd how best to take care of fufu fufu has her own brush uh she has her own uh like jacket or blanket or something to keep her warm she has her her saucer for her food but she also has a spoon because she is spoon fed her dinner and she also has some dental floss that floyd is expected to use to clean out the lamb chops out of her teeth so piggy is one of those owners she's got a very specific regiment for her very pampered dog which you know i mean what else do you expect right yeah that, that dog's a status symbol. <laughs> but then it gets to my favorite moment that very much upset my five-year-old. <laughs> very much upset my five-year-old. Where Piggy leaves Floyd. Now, first of all, I – okay. First of all, let's talk about this. Piggy, is it responsible of her to trust Floyd in this situation? It's irresponsible for of her to bring a dog and just assume that someone's going to take care but of it. But besides that, Floyd – well, yeah, Floyd's a bad cha- bad choice, but she's also – her situational awareness is interesting. And and Fozzie has a date with a polar bear, so he can't do it. Right, and he wouldn't want to disappoint that polar bear. Would you rather leave the dog with Floyd or Bo? Bo. You think Bo? 
My only fear with bow is it would get kind of of, of mice and men. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> oh god, I'm not going to be able to unsee that. Um, Tell me about the puppies, George. Usually, usually I'm the one that goes to the dark places, but that was well done. Good job. So uh, Floyd takes Fufu, and he knows exactly what to do with this dog, and he shoves it in a drawer and closes the drawer, and he says, "Breathe through the keyhole, turkey dog." <laughs> Dogs don't need to it's it's basically like a, a very small kennel. It's fine. It's for a tiny dog. Yeah, it's a very small kennel, but he's decided the way he's gonna take care of Fufu. He's not gonna brush her, he's not gonna feed her, he's gonna shove her in a drawer and he's gonna bolt. <laughs> he's gonna dip. I learned to do laundry when I was five because my mom had to go out of town for like a seminar or something, and she left my dad with us and in, with instructions of how to do our laundry, and so he did that. Or he knew how to do laundry, but like he did our laundry once and then realized that mom did it multiple times a week. And he's like, cool, today you guys get to learn how to do laundry. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't have time to do this multiple times a week. How do you think Dr. Bob keeps his license? Uh, Fraudulently. Yeah, it's got to be right. So the reason Piggy needs someone to watch after her dog is because she's got to do veterinarian's hospital. She could just lock the dog in her room, but whatever. So she goes out to do veterinarian's hospital, and the patient this week is uh, one of the members of uh, Jerry and the Atrix. And uh, she's a very, very old woman. And we just get a bunch of jokes about her being an old woman. And oh, actually, no, we get a few jokes about her being an old woman, and we get a lot of jokes about Bob being a terrible doctor. And, you know, octopuses, because what else would an octogenarian mean? <laughs> I thought that was kind of cute. That was that was pretty clever. <laughs> My favorite part of this one, though, is at the end where, where – uh, uh, Piggy goes, Dr. Bob, she's dying. He's like, we're all dying. <laughs> and and at first, it's kind of dark, but then you realize he's talking comedy-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we get a little help from the man upstairs? And then Jerry Nelson's voice comes on. He's like, tune in next week. And <laughs> Rolf just goes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for getting us out of this sketch. <laughs> I thought it was a very funny veterinarian's hospital, actually. Uh, and then we go back to Diane's dressing room. Kermit asks her if everything is okay with the wig. Now, when in the first number, I thought she was wearing a wig in her jungle number because she has just have a giant mass of blonde hair. I mean, to be fair, it was the 70s and Farrah Fawcett was a thing. But but I don't think she was. I think it's her hair because it's what she looks like for the rest of the episode. Hmm. Kermit comes in and asks if the wig is okay. And she's like, I don't wear a wig. And he's like, but there's a wig in a cage. And it's not, a, it's not a wig you wear, it's a pet wig, because there's an act coming through called Smiling Jim Sepulveda and his tap-dancing toupees. I don't know where they got the name, but Sepulveda's a very famous street in Los Angeles. So I wonder if that's an L.A. joke. By all its rage, it's still just a wig in a cage. And uh, But Kermit says, don't worry, all it eats is table scraps. And so uh, Diane, always game, just tosses all the food off of her table. <laughs> Rips off a piece of the table, rips off a piece of the table and feeds it to him. And again, she's just, she's just here to play. Oh yeah, no, she's, this is her having the time of her life. It really is. We get our UK spot. We're back to uh, kind of a classic UK spot because it's Rolf. Mm. An elegy for a good boy. Mm -hmm. Rolf sings a song called Man's Best Friend. He's along with Afghan Hound, Rover Joe, Wolfhound and Muppy. So Muppy's still here. And it's, it's a sad song about a, a dog named Trey that is apparently passed on, and it's talking about all the good things about Trey. And the dogs come out to sing along, but really they, all they do is howl and cry. It's very, it's very Irish wake. <laughs> it's very Irish wake. The song is actually from 1956 by Walt Kelly, the creator of Pogo. It's actually from the Pogo songbook. 
But yeah, it's 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 funny though. I I like once the other dogs come out and kind of take over the track. I think it gets really funny. Mm-hmm. But it's real Irish. It rem- you know what? Also reminded me of the Stallone. Oh yeah, that's one of the things. The his closing number. Yeah, the bird in the gilded cage. Yeah, it it had a lot of that same feel to it. And we do get a classic modulate. <laughs> one of the Muppet Crew's uh, favorite inside jokes mm. is the word modulate whenever they're playing music. So the chef is going to make hot dogs. He's now, I don't like boiled hot dogs. I prefer my hot dogs grilled. If I'm going to eat a hot dog, I'm going to eat one off a grill. Um, but the chef is preparing to make hot dogs, and um, Piggy kind of comes in because she's looking for Fufu. She can't find Fufu. Because he's, she is currently breathing through a keyhole, so she can't find Fufu. And um, she asks if she's seen her dog, and the chef is like, "Yeah, dogs." And he points to the boiling pot of water. <laughs> the Swedish chef is getting in touch with his inner Glenn Close. Chef, chef, chef. Come on, smear the Fufu. Fufu, my dog, you twit. Dog? Yes. Oh, the dog is in the potty. The doggy is in the potty. And Piggy thinks that he's boiled Fufu, and then she gets a big karate chop at him to come rescue him, and he blocks it with the pot. Pretty good reflexes by the chef. The chef might be the biggest, like, threat on the show. He's just super obfuscating. Uh, and then he pulls a hot dog out and explains to her. Piggy, eat your hot doggy. Um, so now Piggy's still looking for Fufu. She still can't find Fufu. She comes back to her dressing room, and uh, she's telling Diane she can't possibly go on. She can't find her dog. And... um. Uh, there's a great funny bit where she she goes to get Diane. Diane goes to get Piggy a tissue, and she opens the drawer behind her, and the drawer that has Fufu in it, and Fufu pops out and gives her the tissue, but nobody notices that the dog's there. They've got an act coming up, the two of them. They've got this big musical number to finish the show, and uh, Diane, in order to get Piggy to go out there without Fufu, gives her this big stirring speech. But my favorite part of that is that Piggy starts humming, there's no business like show business to herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like inspiring herself to go out there and like, I let's go on with the show. And she's ready to go. And then Kermit comes in. He goes, hey, you guys took too long. I canceled the act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, guys are, you guys have been talking way too long. It's over. It's over. Uh, but luckily, they do find Fufu in the process, so that makes Piggy happy. Kermit does get whacked for this one, I do believe, though. It's not really his fault. It's not his fault. They took too long. He's got a show to run. So backstage, there's just some drums sitting there, and um, Animal thinks they're his drums. I-, I don't know why. I don't know. Like, we saw Diane play drums during the jungle number, right? So I guess it's a reference to that. Hi, drums! Uh, uh, no, 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 Animal. Uh, those are practice drums. They're Diane Cannons. Cannons? Mm-hmm. My cannons! My cannons! No, 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 no. They are drums. My drums! I was waiting for Crazy Harry. We are all waiting for Crazy Harry. But it's okay. It Something does sort of get propelled. Well, what? first of all, we have a guest named Diane Cannon, and there's no Crazy Harry in this episode. That's a whiff. That's a fair point. So, Animal's very confused about whose drums they are, um, but but whatever. That That's beside the point. The real point is that Floyd also can't come out for the next number because he promised that he would go talk to Miss Piggy for a minute. Again, Floyd is being way more, like, polite (laughs) than he normally is. Floyd is someone who is likely to stab you in the front. So, he goes up to talk to Piggy and and you see him in the balcony and Kermit's like, uh, I wonder if Piggy knows he's the one that locked Fufu in the drawer. (laughs) 
And then what happens? Uh, we find out that Piggy knows that Floyd's the one that locked Fufu in the drawer. Um, she sends Floyd flying. Off the t- off the balcony, but it, <laughs> into the drums. I almost feel like they put the puppet into a slingshot and just fired him, because he gets, like, decent air, and he ragdolls. Oh, he gets real air. Yeah, oh yeah, no, it's a total, totally just, they totally just throw a, a, a they just throw a Floyd puppet. <laughs> they just, just toss it. Um, but he comes flying out of Piggy's room. She apparently has discovered that what he did to her dog. And, uh, and it's, 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 uh, classic Muppet funny. Now we get to, um, Diane's final number. It takes place in a pet shop. The first thing I want to say is don't shop at pet shops. Adopt. Just, we're going to get that out there as my, (laughs) it's my official stance on pet shops. But as a pet shop full of dogs and Diane comes in and she sings Big Spender. In the joint. We could see you were a girl of distinction. A real big spender. Good looking. So refined. Wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? Let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every dog I see. Which is from the 1966 musical Sweet Charity. This was weird for me because there is a scene in National Lampoon's European Vacation where Beverly D'Angelo performs a striptease to Big Spender. So it has a very different connotation in my mind. So there's that. The the lyrics are a little suggestive in this performance as well. I mean, the context is firmly established as not being suggestive, but divorced from that context, it's... So they sing, she sings Big Spender to these dogs while they're all singing along. But then she finds this little, 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 then she finds this little spaniel that she falls in love with. And it gets real nearly romantic. Mm-hmm. between the two of them and she but then this the song kind of switches and she's like i'm gonna take you home with me although at the end she kind of tells them she's gonna take them all home with her but um i don't know this was uh this was a nice little number yeah it was a good close she she was a, a lot of fun as a guest and she played really well with the entire cast like she was just she's she fit right in yeah no she did and, and, you know it's a very dog themed episode i think that's you know that's why it was said my girls were upset when she, he locked Fufu in the drawer, but they liked the fact that it was a dog centric episode. So after Big Spender, which ends with, uh, you know, uh, which with ends with her, I think, promising to take all the dogs home. It's unclear. He closes. Kermit comes out to close out the show. And uh, Piggy is very, very happy to have found Fufu. Um, but Janice can't find Floyd. <laughs> So this is probably the most menacing Piggy has been up to this point. Crazy eyes notwithstanding, but just like Piggy literally says he can breathe through a, through a keyhole, which I mean, I, I know it's just turnabout is fair play, but part of me wonders if she gave, if she took a straw and gave him like a tracheotomy or something, 
Just like, what What did she do? No, I just think she shoved him in the drawer. <laughs> He's a very bendy Muppet. It's okay. They're all fairly bendy. But yeah, Piggy, Piggy's response is, don't worry about him. He can breathe through the keyhole. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Diane comes out and she's carrying her new little puppy from the bit. And she mentions something about Kermit being Fufu's dada. And that sends Kermit off again <laughs> to dance on the floor in the round. Mm-hmm. This is a good episode made better by the guest star. Yeah, I, I would agree with she that. She didn't do anything extraordinary. She did what she needed to, though. Like in the bio, I didn't find in, in, in reading about her. I only found basically a list of acting credits, right? Didn't find much about her other than other than that crazy detail. She was married to Cary Grant for two years. But uh, but besides that, all I found were acting credits. And so to see her singing and to see her 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 playing up using her comedy chops and everything and just but more than anything, like we've said a couple of times, like her enthusiasm is kind of infectious in this episode. Absolutely. Next time, Macho Macho Pig. So uh, next time, got a couple of good ones. We've got uh, episode 405 with special guest star Victor Borgia. So classical pianist comedian he's like liberace without all the stuff and a better piano player <laughs> um and then episode 406 with um actress uh linda lavin who was on the television show alice when i was a kid oh i know which that one that one is that's a good one okay check us out on social media leave us a review be really appreciated but uh and we're going to be back with victor borgia and linda lavin and uh Borgia, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, you're going to love the opening number in the Victor Borgia. <laughs> I believe it. I'm just letting you know. So, uh, But until then, my name is Chad. My name is Nick. And uh, thank you for listening. A Feat of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. Well, I think I'll go to the dentist. No? Sure, after this show, nothing hurts. <laughs> <laughs>